and health naturally. Dennis Stewart, we know that you love bees and you've got a number of bees, uh, keep them, and of course honey features so much. Now, there's a bit of a problem with the varroa mite, is there? Yes, Jane. Um, it's worthwhile mentioning to listeners that Australia is one of the few countries that's free of this wretched mite which has decimated uh, beehives all around the world, including countries as close as New Zealand. And when I say has decimated hives, it's virtually wiped out uh, the bee industry in countries like uh, United States, Canada and New Zealand, albeit some of those countries have recovered. Now, Australia has not experienced the varroa mite invasion and beekeepers, um, amateur and professional, fear that day when it might hit Australia because it will have devastating effects. Let me emphasise to listeners, it will have devastating effects on the production of honey and the uh, and the bee industry generally in this country. That's That's my opinion and I think it's shared by many. Well, interestingly, steps have been taken recently to develop a program that may well provide a barrier against this varroa mite invasion is being initiated by government and it has the potential, the potential to build up significant resistance to the invasion of the mite and perhaps even save the beekeeping industry. We'll talk more about it later. And we're taking your calls on 49216216. Got a question from Sue in a moment, but Dennis, uh, I'm on tenterhooks. Mm. We're talking about the honeybee and the danger that's posed to it, and there's a solution. Yes, look, um, I direct all interested um, people out there, particularly beekeepers, amateur and professional, to get hold of the recent edition of The Land. Uh, it's a great uh, newspaper. I've been getting it on a weekly basis for so many years I couldn't count. Um, and on page five of the of this week's edition of The Land is an exciting story about the way in which the varroa mite uh, may well be counteracted by a government initiative which is quite fascinating. What is, in, what is being put forward is that semen collected from drones from beehives in countries where the varroa mite has been dealt with and colonies of bees have developed resistance to it. The idea is to bring in, to import semen from these hives and use that semen with the protective potential involved in it to then use to fertilise our queens in order to build up strength in the Australian colonies in order to be able to resist varroa. In some ways, uh, it's some ways a little bit like vaccination, I guess. Well, it's an excellent idea. It's a great idea. Look, it's being put forward, and the article in The Land on page four uh, calls for comment uh, and submission. And I would encourage all people that are interested in saving the Australian uh, beekeeping industry and working against this wretched varroa mite to become involved, read the article right support for it because it's a great idea to use semen from hives that have dealt with the varroa mite overseas, use that semen, bring it into Australia, use it to fertilise our queens in order to build up hives that bring with them this genetic resistance. What a great idea, Jane. Fantastic Mm. idea, Dennis. And bees, it's not just the delight we have of honey putting it on our crumpets, Mm. but it's uh, also... um, 
much more than that because oh, it's indeed. used in so many preparations. And I'll, I'll talk about that later if we get a chance. But I think that was an exciting thing because I know there are so many of our listeners out there that uh, are interested in bees who use honey and um, both amateur and professional beekeepers will be very much encouraged by what this potential is mentioned in the land this week. And uh, we, as I say, are taking your calls, 49216216. And Sue, thank you for waiting. That's you... all right. Hi, Dennis. Hello, Sue. How are you doing? Hi. Look, um, I'm bringing about my daughter. She's got pigmentation and it's brown spots on the forehead and it's actually sort of white too. Um, mm. She wears makeup, but it does worry her. Has it been diagnosed as vitiligo? Sorry? Has it been diagnosed as vitiligo? These are white. Uh, yeah, pigmentation. The, yeah. These are white patches, are they? Yeah, he's he's given her some cream, cream. but yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know whether it was a dietary thing or whether it was hormone. Look, um, I, I doubt very much whether it would be dietary. How, how old is your girl? Oh, she's in a um, sort of thirties. Okay, well then, in, in my opinion, it's more likely to have something to do with the hormones. Um, is she taking any medication? No. She's not using any any uh, not using the pill. Um no. Um no, not that I know. <laughs> uh, the the reason I mention that is that sometimes uh, and I'm not speaking against the pill, it's a, it's a great device, but um sometimes uh the contraceptive pill in some women in some women uh can cause some uh pigmentation effects. Okay. And that perhaps needs to be uh, discussed with your daughter, and, and if uh, if that is the case, she needs to discuss it, obviously, with her GP. Um, if if it is not that, um, it there's a long shot, and I and I say it's a long shot. Um, bergamot oil, bergamot oil, okay, is is sometimes recommended, particularly for what's called vitiligo, where the patches are like piebald patches, and I'm not sure whether that is the the um, instance with your daughter but if it is uh, just so a, a few small patches of vitiligo in in Dr Weiss's reference which I refer to frequently there's uh, a hint of potential benefit in the topical application of a bergamot cream or perhaps a little bit of bergamot oil mm-hmm. but before I would go down that pathway yep. I'd have the situation clarified as to exactly what it is mm. and to also check out um, whether there's any medication that has been taken. All right. Okay. That helps me a lot. Thank you. Well, that's a little bit of help. And yeah. again, it's difficult without uh, looking right. at the patches that your daughter is experiencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but run that past her and her mm-hmm. doctor would be very, very competent to be able to, to diagnose and comment, particularly if there's medication involved. And Health Naturally is the program at the moment and looking forward to your calls, remember? Four nine two one six two one six. We want you to be feeling good, and Dennis Stewart has got lots of tips to help you with that. John has rung in from Alibana. Hello, John. Good afternoon, Dennis. Dennis, um, I'm sixty-four. Yes. And I've heard you talk about bruising before. I bruise very easily. Yes. I don't take any medication, but yes. I did hear you talk about it once, and I just wondered what was you mentioned some sort of cream you can put on to help the bruising. Yeah. Look. Um, in the, in our profession, arnica cream is arnica, is, is very useful for dealing uh, with with bruising um, when it occurs. Um, right. It doesn't necessarily alter the tendency for bruising, but what it tends to do 
is address the bruise and promote its resolution. Um, you, Arnica is well known, and you could Google it up and get a mountain of information on it. It's one of the most one of the most popularly used uh, European topical applications. Um, it uh, it shouldn't be put on areas where the skin is broken, or where there's an, okay. or where there's an open wound. It's only a topical application for yeah. superficial bruising. But in raising the issue of um, of bruising, I, I've mentioned it before that there's a fair amount of information suggesting that an ongoing use of bioflavonoids does have some strengthening effect on our capillaries, um, right, that yeah. the, the, the tendency for small blood vessels sort of becoming traumatised, injured and, and, and breaking um, seems to be resisted by bioflavonoids, particularly one of them called rutin, R-U-T-I-N. So um, it's not a bad, and, and rutin comes in various forms, even just using uh, simple buckwheat preparations. Uh, buckwheat is rich in, in rutin, but most rutin preparations would come these days in more solid forms, more pharmaceutical forms. They're harmless. Uh, they are obviously uh, a, a nutritional uh, a product. And, and I would suggest um, a quiet, say, three or four-month use of them would be useful to see if uh, they did develop or your skin did develop some resistance to this uh, bruising phenomenon. Um, right. And the good, thing, the good thing about them is they're readily available, they're, they're cheap, they're harmless, they can't interact with other medication and uh, they might just do you some good. It's worthwhile giving a go, but get on the net, look up Rutin and look up bruising, and look up arnica as a topical application. I think you'll right. be quite happy with that. All right, Dennis, thank you. I'll just give that a try because it's just at the moment it's, I bruise so easily I have to be really careful and you know, I can bump my arm on a, a chair or a table and yeah. the next thing, I, you know, a few minutes later, I can see a bruise forming. You haven't... It takes, takes a while well, to go away. You haven't used over the years any sort of um, steroid topical applications or anything, have you? No. Okay. No. It's just one of those things. It's probably, look, it's your makeup. It's the way you are. Um, yeah. And um, as, as we tend to get older, and I speak about myself in that situation, <laughs> as we tend to get older, I think uh, things like this become a little bit more common and perhaps say something about where we're at in life. But, but try the bioflavonoids. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that indeed, John. And uh, we're moving now to Cessnock and Bill. Hello, Bill. situation occurring it's mandatory that you have it fully medically investigated and yes. and a diagnosis concluded as to what's happening uh, once you have that done um, then it's worthwhile perhaps looking at what agents might be useful in the context of what your uh, specialist might recommend to you so it's it's not wise at this stage to begin to do anything until it's clarified Having said that, having said that, let me say that in my experience, there are a number of natural substances which are useful in some kidney diseases. And I mention 
a herb that I have used frequently for some kidney conditions, one of them being called Java kidney tea. But let me emphasise, nothing should be done even with that herb until your specialist concludes what's going on and any treatment is concluded. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. And we're moving over to Valentine now on Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart taking your calls. And Sherry has rung in with a question. 49216216 is the number. And Sherry, your question. Hello, Sherry. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, I just wanted to, I don't know if you know anything about them, but um, cherry angiomas, angiomas, they're like little red dot things that come up and they're they filled with blood. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Or hemangiomas. Yeah, hemangiomas, yes. That's the one. Yes, yes, yes. Um, is there anything or any reason why you get them? I, the doctor says that they're hereditary, but um, like I'm covered. You're covered with them, are you? Yeah. And how long have you had them for, Sherry? They started when I was, um, just after I had my first child. Mm. And um, I sort of just had a few, but now they're... They're just covering and they get bigger and bigger. Sherry, I'll be honest with you. I know little about them and I've never treated them. But what I suggest you do, uh, uh, subsequent to your call, I'm fascinated in your condition and your history. What I suggest you do is drop a line to my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton. Tell me something about their history, uh, what's been diagnosed, what has been done for them. And I will look to see if there is anything in in the system of medicine that I'm involved in that has any potential at all to do anything for it. And I will write back to you or my staff will communicate to you and, and let you know. I doubt whether there is anything, but I'll certainly look into it for you and personally reply. Thank you so much. Thank you, and Sherry. thank you, Sherry, for your call. And uh, Lorraine has rung in now from Madawi. Hello, Lorraine. Hello. Hello, Lorraine. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Good. I was just wondering um, mm. what's your opinion on this um, CLA um, safflower oil tablet. CLA safflower oil? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for um, losing weight. <laughs> okay. Um, look, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I believe safflower oil has some uses, um, mm. full stop. Um, I prefer not to comment on any potential it may or may not have in weight loss um, for the very good yes. reason that I know little about it and I, right. don't, I don't want to sound critical with reference to any product. It may be a very good product. However, having said that, I can express an opinion. I can express an opinion mm, yes. and, and my opinion is this, that weight loss, weight loss is best and credibly achieved when one does two things. Look at what one eats and yeah, secondly what yeah. one does. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I, I, uh, I'm intrigued in recent times with the amount of emphasis that has been placed on the way in which the inclusion, for instance, of massive amounts of sugar in our diet have contributed to the obesity epidemic. And so in my opinion, before one starts to use anything, regardless yeah. of what product it is, do, right, do, yeah. do one simple thing, one simple thing. Just begin to look at what you're eating and see how much sugar is going into your belly. Okay. And, and mm. get hold of a little book. I think it was written by a chap called David Gillespie. It's called uh, Sweet Poison. Yeah. 
Oh, right, yeah. You get hold of it. Once you've read it, it will alter your worldview. And simple information that costs you nothing, but rather encourages you, and I hope all listeners, to look at the way in which sugar has crept in in so many forms. Mm, and I have to be—I right. have to be very vigilant about it for personal reasons. So, regardless mm. of what product you're talking about or not talking about, any weight loss uh, situation should be a personal responsibility. Looking at those two things and looking at what, in my opinion, has been behind most of the problems associated with obesity and diabetes, and yes. that is the way in which refined carbohydrates, particularly represented by sugar have quietly crept in to the Western diet over the last, say, 100 years. Read that book, follow the guidelines in that, and I think you'll get back to me down the track and tell me you're doing okay. Health Naturally on 2NURFM with Dennis Stewart taking your questions. And Chloe, I preempted you a little while ago. Chloe's rung in from Mayfield. Hi. Hello, Chloe. Hi, Dennis. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Good. Thank you so much for taking the call, and thanks for the program. Thank it's you. really great. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering, um, been taking uh, uh, slippery elms yes. and also magnesium calm, yes. like a Wagner brand. Say that and again, could you, Chloe? Could you just repeat that? Uh, I'm taking slippery, slippery elm. Yes, good. Uh, I just wonder, what's really that? Is that? helps you to sort of like help your bowel or something? Okay. Slippery Elm has multiple uses and uh, listeners, and I suspect you are you're one regular of, uh, of listeners, um, know that I'm a great fan of this old-fashioned but popularly used uh, American herb, Slippery Elm, botanically known as Ulmus fulva, interestingly. And uh, yeah. slip, slip, Slippery Elm has multiple uses in our profession and in any one day I would prescribe it oh, probably 10, 15 times. Um, the reason it is so popular is that it has multiple uses and I will go through them and you will see that your question is well answered. The thing about Slippery Elm is that it contains a very important chemical constituent known as mucilage, M-U-C-I-L-A-G-E. Now, mucilage is a substance that passes through the gastrointestinal tract relatively intact, and as it moves through, it does a number of things. First of all, it puts a protective membrane on the gut wall so that from the stomach, even down to the intestinal tract, inflammatory areas can be soothed and potentially healed by the regular usage of slippery elm as a food. Secondly, what a slippery elm does, and this is getting back to your question, is function as an agent which normalises transit time through the gastrointestinal tract. So interestingly, people that are, say, diarrheic, uh, and say suffer irritable bowel or other forms of diarrhea when they incorporate slippery elm ideally in the powder but I say ideally some people can't handle the powder so they have to use capsules but I'm a fan of basic herbalism so when they use say a, a teaspoonful of slippery elm powder on a, on a daily basis usually that will tend to have some controlling effect on diarrhea secondarily and most interestingly the same herb in about the same dosage, can have the effect of promoting bowel function. So it's also used as a first-up method of trying to overcome uh, uncomplicated constipation because what mucilage does, as it moves through the system, it tends to accumulate 
in its own mass a lot of uh, gut fluid and as such tends to uh, cause lessening of dehydration in the gut and as such transit time is improved. So as a simple, safe, uncomplicated way of using, uh, of treating uncomplicated diarrhoea, a teaspoonful of slippery elm powder should be useful, full stop. All right, and hopefully it can help with the constipation as well, that's great. But, um, but what, about... one other thing that I would mention, and again, because constipation is such an incredibly common problem, and I say incredibly common, as many as most general practitioners would agree, and because people are embarrassed to talk about it and suffer silently, it's important to know that some just simple things in many situations can overcome. And the other thing, and I've mentioned it on this program, which is a very simple and economical way of also addressing the problem or trying to address the problem, is to use anything between 20 to 40 mils of extra virgin olive oil as a dosage per day and ideally measure it out in a medicine glass Start off at the lower level and work up to around 40 mils. The maximum therapeutic dose in the literature is 60 mils of uh, olive oil daily. But that is an underrated but very reliable and credible agent also in helping overcome constipation. And and don't confuse it with castor oil. Quite a different scenario. Um, Olive oil is a food. It's popularly used around the world. And a regular use of it in that sort of dosage has proven in my practice and even program response to be a very useful way of simply helping this chronic problem. Wow. Um, so do you take it during nighttime? Or no, 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 no. It depends. It doesn't matter when you take it. It's just a matter of um, slipping it into your routine. It might be best to start off the day with it. Right. For a... Uh, 20 mil, did you say? Well, I'd start at 20 mil. Right, and just um, like any, it has to be extra virgin cold no, pressed no, no, olive no, oil? No, not necessarily, but just go to the supermarket and buy a good extra virgin olive oil off the shelf, doesn't matter what brand, and just try that. Yeah, and I suppose 20 mils is about a dessert spoonful. That's about yeah. what it would be. Okay, so there's a, a wonderful remedy that's so easily accessible. Yeah, it's so easily, easily used. And Kerry has rung in on 49216216 from Summerland Point. Hello, Kerry. Hello, how are you? Hello, Kerry. How are you doing? Hello, Dennis. Good, thank you. Good, good. How can we help? Uh, just a question on chronic fatigue syndrome. Yes. Um, I think I've heard in your ads before that... Um, uh, you have treated it in the past? Yes. Or you have patients with it? Yes. Is there a test of some sort that would... Now, I understand it could uh, present itself as different things, uh, different ailments, yes. to get to the final uh, Condition. diagnosis of yes. chronic fatigue. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but what sort of process do you take in the okay. way of... Okay, look, in, in, my, in my experience, um, the majority of patients that I have seen with chronic fatigue, as we, if we use that term, have had some sort of viral background. Yep. And, and the first thing I look for is to see whether or not that individual has experienced what's called the Epstein-Barr virus, what is, common, right. what is commonly known as glandular fever. Yep. Um, I, I have seen so many instances of where that pathology has been followed up by what's called the post-viral syndrome, which is a combination 
of fatigue and a propensity to go down with other viral infections along the way. Uh, yep. That's what I normally look for, albeit um, it's, not always, it's not always the explanation. Uh, chronic fatigue is a term, an umbrella term, used to describe a, a set of symptoms which yep. can emerge from multiple causes. Sometimes f- chronic fatigue can come, I suspect, as a result of trauma, emotional trauma and things like that. But the first thing I do, particularly in people that have had a fairly clear background of, of nothing unusual in their life, and particularly younger patients, is to see if they've been blood tested for Epstein-Barr. And in many cases, that's the clue. And where that is the situation, I have found that the, the, the Astragalus 8 formulation has given some very, very good results. Thanks. Right. So if the blood test was done, it came back to say um, that at some point in your life you've had glandular fever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously a, a starting point. Well, in, in, at least to... in, in my opinion, that would be a starting point because yep. in, in, in my opinion, and I have to say it in that terminology because yes. medically there would be controversy about what I'm going to say. In, in, <laughs> oh, in, no. Even, in, a lot of doctors okay. don't believe in chronic fatigue. Okay. Uh, in my experience, people that have had Epstein-Barr, even where it's been diagnosed and it's been a past episode, I, I refer to it this way, the tendency, if you like, the marker is yeah. there. And in my opinion, and it's an opinion based on experience, predisposes that individual to experience um, other episodes throughout their life, yes. which, which will mimic the original uh, contraction of the virus and right. bring about episodes of fatigue. Now, I know that will be shot down by the epidemiologists out there and by <laughs> others, but that's been my experience and that's been my opinion. So even, yep. if, it's, even if it's a past diagnosis, I would still work on that and, and use the Astragalus 8 formula. Health naturally at the moment on 2NURFM. And uh, Dennis Stewart, we're taking listeners' calls. And at the moment, John has rung in on... He's from Mark's Point. And, John, a question for Dennis. Oh, hi, Dennis. Hello, John. Um, look, I've talked to you before about constipation, chili yes. and things like yes, that. Yes, yes. And I've been using I don't like to use a lot of chili, not yes. like you. Yes, but And just enough, you know. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Now, a woman has come and gave me two plants yes. of chilies. Yes. She said they've got no um, sting at all in them. Mm-hmm. They're coloured. They're, they're, they're growing and they're all different colours. Yes. Now, are they any good? Okay, what she, what she's probably referring to there is that they have a low level of what's called capsaicin. Now, capsaicin is the alkaloid contained in the chili family, and it occurs at various levels in various varieties of chili. Yeah. So, the very hot chili um, would have a very high level of capsaicin in it, but the as you go down the ladder those that are fairly benign would have minimal, minimal amounts of capsaicin in it. Oh. Now, now, I'll give an opinion here. I think that if one were to take, um, say, a, a chili or a member of the capsicum family, that's a better way of putting it, that is, is benign as far as its pungency, I would be surprised if that had much effect um, in the gut and much effect in, in promoting any benefit in, in a condition oh, such as constipation. Yeah. So they're just for growth, yeah. yeah. Back to the Ned Kelly. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks Thank you. for your call. And we're moving to 
Maitland now, I think, and Adrian. Hello. Hello, Hello Adrian. How are we going? Good, Adrian. How can we help you? I spoke to a man from Sydney the other day who suggested that colostrum, mm. he um, makes it into a powder form himself with his own company, was virtually like a snake oil and would heal everything. The mm. main thing I was looking for was a um, some assistance with obesity, and he reckoned that would help that. Um, in my opinion, uh, um, I would be very, very doubtful whether right. whether obesity could be so easily managed as to take colostrum. I think, well, I can give an opinion. One has to be cautious about what one says. But yes. in, in, in my opinion, um, in my opinion, I think that is, is not likely. Not right. likely. Right. And, the way he was marketing it was almost like a snake oil. Yeah, and look, would cure everything from a toothache to a cut on your arm. Well, you'd be fully aware that where I would stand on that, uh, unfortunately, there is still... Uh, people marketing products outside of the Therapeutic Goods Administration registration system, and um, many of those products, and I'm not commenting necessarily on this one, but many of those products are promoted in a snake oil way, and the more claims that are made for a particular product, in my opinion, the more suspicious you should become of it. Okay, thanks for your call, Adrian. And uh, David has rung in from Windale. Hello, David. Oh, good afternoon, Dennis. Uh, Dennis, um, I've got a bit of a problem. I um, lost my partner about 19 months ago with cancer. Yes. Now, I was drinking pretty heavy with red wine type of thing. Yes. wasn't eating. Yes. Now, and I smoked, but yes. I'll give up the smoking. Yes. And I buy these meals, like McCain's meals now, as, yes. I, as, I, as I live my own. Yes, of course. But Doc, I just don't seem to be picking up weight, weight at all. You don't, seem, I, you don't seem to be picking up weight? Is, you know, I've had a blood test through my doctor. Yes. There's nothing cancerous. There's yes. nothing to worry about. Good, good. But I'm eating these meals, and they've got mashed potato, and they've got plenty of vegetables in them, yeah. but I just don't seem to be gaining okay. any weight. Well, that, those meals are good meals. Um, I've used them myself, so um, I'm not going to uh, cast aspersions on those. But if, if you're not uh, putting on weight, it could be a consequence of the fact that you're still, uh, how can I call it, grieving or getting over the loss of your partner, um, mm-hmm. grief, trauma, sadness, uh, can have an effect on our metabolism. People lose weight when they go through trauma, emotional trauma. That still could be something going on. But what I would suggest you do, um, weight gain is something that can um, be achieved by, right. by bringing into the diet yes. perhaps some more wholesome, in this case, carbohydrates. Right. In yes. other words... Um, get hold, start to bring in, in in conjunction with what you're eating, and what you're eating is good tucker, yes. but, but bring in with it um, an additional amount of things like uh, rice. Yep, rice, yep. okay. R- yes. half, three quarters of the world lives on rice. Yes. So bring in some rice, yes. um, get some good quality wholemeal bread and start yeah, to... I, I, I have that. Right. And Sorry. do you eat potatoes? Uh, well, you know, I thought, well, potatoes being in the... In the meals that I get, I don't need really to... Well, what you might have to do yes. is to go and augment what you're getting yes. and so accelerate the, the, your intake, I yes. guess I'm saying, of more carbohydrates to augment the excellent food you're getting. In right. your case, it might be just a little bit necessary for you to do that. Yes. A lot more rice, a lot more potato, those sorts of things should help. Right. Okay then, Dennis. Thank okay. you. I, it's just that, you know, it's a little bit hard. Yes, I understand. Yeah. I understand fully, and that's why I suggested that um, the trauma and the sadness may still be something 
that is uh, is affecting you. Ah, oh, potatoes and rice are good though, Dennis. Aren't they really? For, <laughs> I'm for sure some, they do. For some people, things. Jane. For some people. <laughs> for some people, true. Uh, just one last call. Sandy's rung in from Pelton. Sandy. Hello, Sandy. Hi, Dennis. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. First of all, I would really like to thank you for giving my grandpa many more years of life when the doctor couldn't back in the 80s. Oh, that's nice. You saved his life. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's lovely, Sandy. Thank you for ringing in. I appreciate that. Um, I would just like to ask you a question. This man that was talking about colostrum. Yes. I had my last child... 16 years ago yes. and still have colostrum. Yes. Is that normal? Well, That's fine? I don't know whether it's normal or abnormal. Um, if you're concerned about it, discuss it with your doctor. But if it's so long ago that you've, that you've uh, had your child, I wouldn't be thinking it would be too much of a problem. Okay. Yeah. No, the doctor didn't worry, but well, I, I wouldn't be I believe in I believe in naturopaths more than doctors. So. I, I wouldn't be too. I'd go with your doctor on that up there. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about it. But if you are worried about it, well, pursue it. But I think I'm you'll. Not, I think I'm you'll find. Really. It, I think you'll find that it'll end up taking up in time. Okay, well I'm pleased to hear that. Uh, thank you for your calls, everyone who's called in, but we haven't quite finished with the honey the topic. honey, we're coming back to honey. Honey okay. is important. Look, very quickly, when I was rummaging through my literature and files last night on honey, and I have a stack of information, I came across a letter that was recently sent to me. I'll read it quickly. Dear Mrs Stewart, I would like to thank you for your uh, wonderful honey ointment. I can't begin to tell you what it has meant to me. I had an uncontrollable ulcer on the lower calf of the left leg. It started with an operation to remove a blood clot and very slowly was getting better uh, but when I had to go back to hospital with renal failure um, caused by taking too many painkillers while in hospital on the uh, an old ulcer on my left leg got knocked and broke open again. Then I got staph in the wound and it spread to the full 360 degrees around the leg. I was allergic to almost everything they put on it to try to heal it. Then my husband found your ointment in a health food store. I was very sceptical at first, but my doctor wanted to put me back in hospital again. He gave me two weeks to show improvement, so we started your honey ointment treatment. We were all stunned at the improvement. In the first two weeks, it almost halved in size. I was using three jars a week and was devastated when I was told I couldn't get it from the health food store again. I then rang your office and purchased a carton of it so as to keep up the treatment. The ulcer is very small now, and I thank you very much for my leg and my life. You saved them both. I've recommended your ointment to anyone that will listen. That was a nice letter, wasn't it? <laughs> now, the interesting that. thing was the lady sent photographs of this, which are quite horrific, before and after. It's a pity we weren't able to show the listeners because... <laughs> it, it might w- be just as and, well. <laughs> and I mentioned that not to pat myself on the back, Jane, but rather to finalise the program by saying, good old honey, it can even save legs. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, that's Health Naturally for today. Back next week after the 12 o'clock news on 2NURFM.